From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Season 4 of Cork Talk. In this episode, we talk with Chad and Krista Gieber of Golden Road Vineyards in State Road, North Carolina. Chad and Krista recently opened the tasting room at Golden Road and talk about their journey so far. Wine Class with the Wine Mounts is back. This season, they're talking to us all about the components that go into making a wine's flavor and role. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. All right, so we are here with Chad and Krista Giebert of Golden Road Vineyards. Chad and Krista, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Thank you. So tell folks uh, a little bit about uh, you and about Golden Road Vineyard. Sure. So uh, Chad and Krista, um, we, I guess, well, we bought the vineyard four years ago and um, just recently opened a tasting room a little over uh, one year ago today, uh, last month. So, um years and change we've been open and um well i wanted to kind of brag about chad for a little bit but um what was that chad and i we he has a veteran background he was in the navy for eight years that got him into wine drinking um and then when he came back from the navy he uh him and his dad actually retired master chief uh wanted to do something together uh, just to catch up on the missed times um and for being apart for all these years. And they started making uh, kind of kit wine, you know, um, those wine kits that you buy, like like homebrew kits. And they started making fruit wines and they got into um, grape varietals and been kind of, that's kind of what jump-started everything. But yeah, so Chris and I met in DC and doing IT consulting and never thought that, you know, if you asked me five years ago if we'd be here, it would have had no clue. No clue. Yeah. It seems to be a very popular career path though. You know, I would say that for someone who has to stare at a laptop for eight, nine hours a day. And I think um, y'all may be in the same type of situation. And a lot of people also um, when they've been, cause we've been working remotely. We've been working from home since 2015. So even before the pandemic started, we were all already in a situation where it's easy to kind of get, drawn into your laptop, into your screen. And all of a sudden it's noon and you're still wearing pajamas and you're just like, there has to be more to life than this. So um, the hobby that Chad and his dad started, Chad and I started doing it just again in Virginia. Um, We started taking wine classes in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, So the Monticello wine trail, um, that's something that we would wake up um, voluntarily, I might say, at around 6 a.m., sometimes 5.30, and drive two, two and a half hours to wineries in Charlottesville just to take classes. They have a Surrey Community College equivalent called Piedmont Virginia Community College. It's not as formal, not as, um, it's it's a very different setup. Right, their classes are at the individual wineries taught by the winemaker or the 
the vineyard manager or whatever role they're teaching you know, that day. So the, the school got a partnership. And I think the only class that we actually did in the schoolhouse was uh, like the legal class. Yeah, the compliance class. But yeah, we took classes at Veritas, King Family, Keswick, a lot of very famous, um, well-known Virginia wineries in Charlottesville. Yeah, it definitely sounds like the who's who. So from that, from taking those classes, is that where the desire to, to own a vineyard and, and make wine came from? Well, I guess backing up a little bit, when we got married, we wanted to get away from D.C. And, you know, we were, again, we were already working remote. So we were just trying to, you know, where can we go that gets us away from the, the craziness and better place to raise a family. And uh, Chris's mom said, hey, you know, don't just move to work for somebody else. You know, find something you're passionate about and go forward, you know, doing that. So we, that's when we... Let's take the classes, you know, see if this, you know, if, if we bite and, you know, I, I guess we started, you know, definitely building up that passion while we were taking the classes and then started looking around and said, hey, this is something we can do and jumped into it. I know a lot of people like to joke, uh, make jokes about blaming their parents, but I definitely tell uh, this story in our tasting room often that um, I blame mom. Mom owned her own business for 36 years. She came from the Philippines. She took just a couple years of college at University of Wisconsin, and then she just kind of moved to Houston and started her own medical medical laboratory, kind of like a LabCorp Quest kind of a lab. And she was the one that told us, she goes, if you really want to start a business, all you really need is a bank, a CPA, and a lawyer, and just a very strong entrepreneurial spirit. You know, you have to drive this. This has to be your passion. And I mean, at this point, Chad's been making kit wine at that point for what, five years? So... It was something he was pretty passionate about already. So it just seemed like a natural fit. So how did you end up in, in State Road? How did you find Golden <laughs> So we Road? actually were looking at uh, a winery near Blacksburg. Um, I'm, I'm a Hokie, so you know, while Charlottesville is the big Virginia Mecca, we were, you know, again, trying to look somewhere else, go our own path a little bit. And, and uh, you know, after looking at – we had worked with the, that winery for about a year and just couldn't, uh, couldn't make it work out. So then we decided let's expand our search. And uh, I guess the vineyard, which was established in 2011, had just hit the market like a week or so before. And um, we were actually four months pregnant at the time. So it was one of those, you know, the discussion was, hey, let's go check it out. And if it works out great, if not, let's put everything on hold until after the baby comes because we're running out of time to find a place, make a decision and get the move done before we need to, to, you know, get ready for the baby. So we came down. Fell in love with the vineyard, uh, put our offer down, and July 7th, uh, we closed and moved in. No, I definitely want to emphasize that we looked in Virginia for a good year and some change, and then the pregnancy definitely um, expedited that timeline. Um, we were really adamant that we wanted to be in Virginia f- just because we that's where we're like, we took the classes, sure. where we met. It's a good story. And then when we saw this vineyard was on the market, we first just fell in love with the photos. And then we saw, oh wait, it's only 20 minutes over the state line from Virginia. You know, very similar terroir, very similar dirt. So let's go check it out. And then um, that was one thing that I really was pleasantly surprised because up in Virginia, we were told for the longest time, oh, North Carolina, that's just sweet wine. We were told that for the longest time. And then when we came here, the first place we tasted wine, well, I was pregnant. First place Chad tasted wine 
was Shelton. We went to Harvest Grill that night for dinner because we just drove seven hours and all that. And then we were just very, very surprised. After that, we went to Jones Vondrell. We went to some of the Elkin wineries and we were, again, just very surprised. And we just saw a lot of potential when we came to this area. So were you in the market to purchase an established vineyard already or were you maybe considering planting a vineyard of your own? With full-time uh, work and everything, we wanted to, we, the goal was to get something that was already established, either established with the winery and tasting room or at least get the vineyard. So we weren't trying to completely establish it, you know, from, you know, from the beginning. I guess one of the things I admire about this industry is there's different types of business models. Um, it's not, I, I know it's very traditional to find a empty patch of land, plant a vineyard, then you bring the grapes to your winery, put them in your tanks, in your barrels, uh, and then just kind of go from there and do the bottling on site. And and one of the things that the Virginia class has taught us is that you can do custom crush, you could start, you could just grow the grapes and make them elsewhere, which is what we do. And then, and then there's a lot of flexibility in this industry. So that was also another interesting, and um, that was another attraction for us to get into this. Excellent. So when you purchased Golden Road, there was just the vineyard there. There was no tasting room at all. It was it was really just a grower site, right? The tasting room was actually our barn. So yes, you had been to our September barn. Of, <laughs> September of twenty is when we finally moved all the farm equipment out. We put up a metal building and and then started the conversion. A little delayed you know, on our original plans because of the, the pandemic and everything. But but yeah, it was just the vineyard, all the farm equipment, and uh, and the house. And that was it. We actually were looking more for a vineyard and a livable house where we could have, you know, a family since I was pregnant. Well, it sounds like uh, it was uh, meant to be there. Um, so how many acres were under a vine um, then? And have you expanded any yet or are there plans? To it was uh, five, or 4.96, five acres um, under vine, uh, 25, the property is 25 acres total. We actually, uh, this week we started uh, we, we've pulled out our tonight. We're going to be replacing it with uh, another hybrid to try something different because it's it struggled a little bit. So we want to want to give something else a go. Yes. So, it's in, but we'll be staying five acres is uh, plenty right now anyway. And and there's the I guess the the hills and everything on the property aren't really tractor friendly to expand too much anyway. <laughs> we have a huge drop off going to the river, so it'll be great for trails, uh, sure. hiking trails, and camping. Um, but not necessarily great with sunlight. So what varieties are in the vineyard today and what, what are you looking to plant then? Right. So our whites are Petit Mansing and Traminette. Um, our reds are Merlot, Petit Verdot, and I guess until recently Tanat. And we're going to be replacing that with a, uh, a hybrid called Crimson Cabernet, which is a Cab Norton uh, hybrid. We've heard um, some in some some talk some talk a lot of more talk about Crimson Cabernet. So that's one. Uh, it sounds like I think Fire Clay um, in yes. Pittsburgh. They We've had been talking it. to Eric a lot. Yes, okay. we we talked to them. Uh, we actually also went online and bought some from I think Missouri, somewhere in the Midwest that had grown some Indiana just to try uh, try the wines. But yeah, it is amazing. So uh, you you obviously purchased the vineyard after it was already established. So how important was it to you know know what the varietals were that you were going to to be farming? Uh, were, did they play a major impact into your decision to buy the vineyard, or were you just looking for any vineyard really? No, they they played a I guess it was a little bit of both. But uh, you know, and having said we take it, it's not out. It's not was one of the 
the big selling points for us because we had uh, on our honeymoon did a cruise from uh, uh, Santiago, Chile around the Horn to uh, uh, Buenos Aires and stopped in Uruguay along the way and got in, or not introduced to but but had some tanats that we really liked. So that that was a plus. Unfortunately, that's one that we decided that it's not doing the best here and we want to try something different. So, but the wines, we've, you know, I don't think I've been familiar with Petit Mansing or Petit Verdot prior to, but we've definitely made some excellent wines out of those. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're varieties that seem to do pretty well in North Carolina. So, and more and more people seem to be planting them. So I think people will become more and more familiar with those varieties and probably will start asking for them uh, here right. in the near future. And there's no use struggling with a uh, with a varietal that just won't grow on your exactly. Site. So you, exactly. you're making the right decision. It might be tough, but it's always a good thing to to know what's going to grow there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were told by a winery that's been an establishment. Like it's um, it's we were told don't be afraid to to yank up vines if they're just not giving you what you need because. I mean, you really are putting blood, sweat, and tears every year. Like, you start pruning when it's freezing, or not this week, but (laughs) you start pruning in the cold weather, and then you're hedging when it's, like, super hot, so you're trying to get it all in before, like, 11 o'clock, and and if it's like us, it's the old-fashioned Christmas tree knives. Um, Just because of our hills, we can't really, you know, we haven't really thought about doing that type of a, a big machine yet, and... And that's something where um, if it's, you know, it needs to be a good fit also with the, with the varietal. Um, I've been very impressed with the petites, the petite mansang and the petite verdot. Like it grows really well. And those clusters are, are, are loose, particularly on the mansang. And so that helps with some of the humidity pressures that we have to deal with. So certainly a good variety for that. And then having the smaller berries too, I think helps as well on both. It said thick skin. I think it yeah, just needs yeah. to have like thick skin. Yeah, you know? sure. That, and it needs to hold up to this North Carolina humidity. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you've talked about the hills being somewhat difficult, but are there some advantages of having the hilly vineyard? Uh, beautiful photos. <laughs> well, so and we also cold. Yes. Allows cold runoff, but. And it was to be part of the later part of this discussion, but yeah, that's not necessarily helped in the last couple <laughs> not of years. Not as much as I thought it would. Yeah, not as much. We were like, we have hills, we're good, and we're like, really? So. And I'm, I would imagine it would help with drainage, though. So the water yes. running away. Yes, from absolutely. The lines, so that would be important. Not, not, not as much so during the year of 2021 when there was a drought, but uh, in, in years like 2018 when it's a deluge rain, it would. Mm-hmm. Our first year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you got trial by fire the first year, and 19 was decent. 20 was yeah, get, get humbled early on makes yes. it a little bit, you know, it's, I think, better than the other way around. I mean, yeah. if we came in and it was like 17 or 19, we'd be like, yeah, we got this. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It builds character. Yeah, it's good to start in a, in a kind of poor year, just so you know what you're up against. And everybody else is up against it, too, so, you know. It's not just us. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So you've talked about the hills and you've kind of talked a little bit about the advantages. We've obviously been to your property before, but for the listeners who have not been, kind of walk through a little bit about what your property is like. I mean, you mentioned hills and there are hills, but kind of give us the rundown. So the property, 25 acres. Um, there, th- we have a river, the not the Mitchell River, but the... So the South, South Fork Fork River, River is one of the borders of your property. And that's supposed to be one of the cleanest rivers in North Carolina. 
Um, so we're very happy to have that. Um, we, so there's lots of natural beauty there. Um, again, we want to put trails in cause there is a drop off closer you get to the river, but we've, even before we opened our tasting room, couples would come and ask for engagement photos and family families would come along, family photos in the vineyard. And the answer of course was like, yes, come on in. Um, and it's just this natural beauty that you can't get anywhere near a city. People will go, for example, we have a lot of people that go and hike Stone Mountain and then they come to us. And they said that they wish, like a lot of people actually, like kind of on the flip side, we had a couple come two Fridays ago that said they were going to go hiking and they ended up just kind of staying <laughs> for a couple hours and they shared a bottle. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I guess y'all go hiking tomorrow. Um, but yeah, so I guess it was you know, just very nice. When you show up and one of the things that's definitely a, a positive about the property, uh, if you're coming from the Elkin area or Stone Mountain you know, off 21, as you get on a golden road and come around the corner to towards our property, you're at the highest point of the property, looking over a, a beautiful mountain view um, off the distance. And then, you know, you drive along the vineyard and then the, the taste room's the last thing you get to. If you come from the opposite direction, it's not quite as, uh, I guess, pretty when you're coming to it. But, uh, but yeah, the views are I'd say spectacular. And our sunsets out here are just amazing. We started an event called First Fridays, um, which I know is mostly, um, uh, at least... The first time I went to a First Friday event, it was more um, art focused. Um, but when we started them, we had in mind, well, like our sunsets here are pretty much photo picturesque, perfect. Um, you know, um, yeah, like just like a, a like picture perfect postcard situation. And and we've had gorgeous sunsets on First Fridays. We just had gorgeous sunsets in general. And We've even had locals ask us if they could just come hang out, um, even though we're closed um, at the picnic tables or in the fire pits, just to wait for a sunset. Um, and that's kind of what we've become known for, where we'll just stay open through sunset the first Friday of the month. And then, um, you know, we'll have live music and lobster dogs or another food vendor. Uh, they love coming to the first Fridays and we'll just kind of make the most of the natural scenery that's provided here. And I think you do a really good job with that too, about your uh, your seating arrangements and everything that you have at the tasting room itself too. You can just sit out there by the fire pits. Everywhere you look has a really great, gorgeous view, like you mentioned. And it's it's definitely a place where you do just want to go, sit there, relax, enjoy some wine, and just hang out. Who wants to hike? The fire pits were they weren't planned initially, but as we were opening mid pandemic, and I think you know. Concrete takes forever to get put in if we wanted to do a patio or we had talked about um, and we were looking for the, the space heaters and those weren't available because everyone else trying to do outdoor seating had uh, gone and got the kerosene, you know, tall kerosene heaters. So we we're like, one. if we do fire pits, <laughs> you know, it, it lends towards social distancing, uh, sitting around the fire. And if we put a few of those out there, and you know, so it, it worked out really well. And we were able to do music our first year outside almost the entire winter and keep people warm enough. And fortunately it was a mild winter as well. Um, so yeah, that definitely helped, uh, I guess, get us through the beginning. Yeah, we definitely got a winter where we really only had to bring musicians in about six weeks. Um, somewhere on the other hand, that, that that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need the shade in the summer to keep, keep folks uh, a little cooler. I want misters. I want like, 
that would be fans nice. and misters. And I, I, I don't want this to turn into like a splash town or anything, <laughs> but you know, I was like, this is one of the, like we actually had wine club members tell us that they were just like, you guys need misters like hanging from, you know, the, um, like our six by sixes. Um, but yeah, anyway, sorry. Now I'm getting off. off, off tangent. Well, let's take a little step backward then. And we've talked about a bit about the the grapes that you grow. Let's talk a little bit about the wines that you produce and the flavors that you're trying to get from those wines. Well, I will say our white wines and our rosés are very, this is, or this is what you expect from North Carolina whites and rosés. You expect high acid. And so if you like high acid wines, which I know I do, yes. then you'll do very, like, you'll do very well at our vineyard with um the whites and rosés we our treminet we weren't afraid to make a dry treminet a lot of people i know um and and, and actually i say that in here next year we are going to have a semi-sweet but um our first year we just wanted to have a baseline of what do these grapes taste like all the way dry that's why we opened with just dry wines um and that's our most awarded or most meddled wine. It's the one we've also entered in a lot of competitions just because, again, a lot of people don't know any, like they go to a winery, they see Chardonnay, they see Merlot, but they're like, oh, Terminette, what's this? Um, and then a Sunset, um, which is our rosé of Merlot. I mean, I'm a rosé all day type of a gal. So I like my high acid rosés. I like them crisp. I want a clean finish. And our 19 Merlot, our very first Merlot, I remember we had um, other winemakers say, oh, I taste, um, I smell rose petals and I taste chocolate. And I was like, perfect. Yes, that's exactly what, you know, well, that's what the winemaking is about. Um, so we have a lot of, um, we entered in a lot of our whites and rosés, um, our reds was that the way, and when you come to our tasting room, you'll see we go in order of light to dark and we end on our bourbon barrel wine. Um, our wet, our reds, especially the 18s, of course. Um, again, when you have a rainy year, that's where you have the light, fruity, fun, easy drinking reds. Then you have like the 19 type of a year, like the 17 and the 19. So you have the bold, dark, like dark colored wines and, the ones that just really warm you up. And 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 when someone walks in and they want a California cab, I'm like, you want Petit Verdot. Like, welcome to North Carolina. So things like that. And I'm not even the winemaker. What do you think, Chad? <laughs> I, like, I guess one of the whites that we don't have anymore or don't have right now, our Petit Men's thing is also one that was really popular. It had the, the I guess, what, pears, apricots, and you know, that was one of our our silver medals in the fine lines competition. So definitely proud of that one. And I think the one we have coming out from the 21 um, vintage is going to be even better. better. We're looking forward to that. And then with Traminette, we're like Chris alluded to, we're trying a little bit different stuff this year instead of just doing a dry, because we have so much of, we almost have two acres of Traminette. So we'll still do the dry tram, but we're also going to try to do a, uh, I guess, forced carbonation, uh, sparkling or frizzante um, Traminette as well as, uh, potentially doing some uh, sweet treminette as well, just to have a few more options uh, with that grape. Well, that's exciting. I, I think the uh, the spicy floralness of that treminette will do well with a uh, an effervescent treatment to mm -hmm. it. You know, it's funny you say the spicy notes and all that. So 
the more our 19 Tremonet has aged in the bottle, the spicier I think it's getting. So it's funny because our when we opened, our Petite Mind saying was our full-bodied, if you want a Chardonnay substitute, a full-bodied white wine substitute, go with a Petite Mind saying. And then our Tremonet was a lighter one, but now it's kind of like the opposite. It's like, no, this is our, this is like the perfect winter white, especially this time of the year. Excellent. We definitely agree with that. Well, I think we're actually at a really good spot for a quick little break. But when we come back, um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about some of the events that you mentioned. And then we'll talk more about the uh, the life of the, the vineyard and the property itself. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So uh, last season, we talked all about varieties of grapes, and now uh, we're starting a new season. So what are we going to focus on this year? Well, this year we were going to dive into all the different varieties of aromas out there that are in your wines. Excellent. Very cool. So where do you want to start? Well, we figured we this week we or this month we would just dive in and give an introduction to different components of aroma and taste and give an overview to set us up for the rest of the year. Perfect. Awesome. So taste is a very subjective, but also objective measure at the same time. You know, we've all been in tasting rooms and people will just start spitting out, not wine, but the flavors that they, well, let me back up. (laughs) (laughs) Often it can seem like those are just being pulled out of nowhere, but really there's a very specific way to conceptualize and kind of compartmentalize this subjective experience. So the flavors and aromas can be split into three different categories. You've got primary, secondary, and tertiary, which is very creative, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But each of these flavors and aromas originate from different sources. And it's important to note that not all wines will have something from each of the three categories, Um, but it's just a a good way to, to conceptualize and break it down. Okay. So tell us more. So the first category is the the primary group. So um, if you think about that as like the first aroma or taste you're going to get, that comes from the grape itself. So that's kind of your starting point before you even make wine. The grape has its own tastes and aromas to it like any other fruit does. That is the primary one and all wine will have primary aromas. That is the best place to start. So yeah, so primary flavors are going to be like the fruit. Again, like Jesse mentioned, from from the grape variety itself. Also floral flavors and aromas and herbiness as well. These are going to be impacted by viticultural factors and things like uh, different climates. So if you think about a hot climate, the grape can get more of a bolder, riper uh, flavor. And in a cold climate, those aren't going to all develop the same way so you're going to get more subtle flavors and more tart kind of underripe fruit in that primary zone makes sense cool so then we move on to secondary and you just think of it as layers we're adding on to the process so secondary aromas come from the process of fermentation so when you take those grapes and you start making wine that process can add new aromas that are going to layer on top of the primary aromas we already have. Mm -hmm. So these fermentation aromas can be things like cream, bread, mushroom, butter, and these are going to come from the vinification, the winemaking process. Um, So things like the contact time, it's going to be impacted by things like that. 
contact time of the must, the seeds, stems, and skins, strain of yeast that was used, malolactic fermentation, pH, alcohol concentration. This is just a big, wide world of secondary flavors. So much can go into it. Yeah, and a lot of this category, too, can be manipulated, may not be the best word, but, you know, the winemaker can try to get certain aromas through their winemaking process if they desire a certain aroma in the wine. And then the last group is are the tertiary aromas and flavors. Um, so the third layer, you know, we have our grapes, we made the wine. And so the tertiary flavors come from aging and oxidation. So as the wine is is sitting in an oak barrel or sitting in a bottle for years, more aromas are going to develop. And, you know, this can come from just different compounds changing over time or bonding to different compounds themselves and changing. Uh, so those are the tertiary aromas. And these aromas are going to be things like vanilla, uh, nuttiness, coffee, tobacco, that again come from differences in aging. Um, of course, you've got differences in what kind of oak would have been used. So you can really get into the weeds here. Yeah, and some of your faults in come wine. in here too, like oxidative faults and stuff, spoilage, those kind of aromas that you could get hints of, you know, would be a, could be a tertiary aroma as it's aging. Sure, yeah. And those might be things that you don't want, but can be there for sure. Very cool. Well, it's very exciting to, to hear about all the, uh, the wide world of aromas that are in your glass and in your bottle. Um, I can tell you, I for one am looking forward to diving in deeper and seeing what the nose knows. I love it. Us too. Yeah, they're very punny, Matt. Very punny. Yes, very punny. But there are, gosh, maybe up to a thousand different compounds that can be in wine. So we will not be going into all of them. (laughs) Oh, come on. We'll pick our 11 favorites. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Nice. Well, we are looking forward to it. Jesse and Jessica, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You can find out more information about the Wine Mouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram, at Wine Mouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. All right, so we're back with Chad and Krista. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about some more of those winery events that you hinted at before. So um, it was our first year, so we went all out. Uh, this is what I actually tell people in the tasting room too. I was like spaghetti this year. I threw it and I saw what stuck on the wall, you know, and we had some events that like, I basically wanted to plan events. Um, and, and by the way, I do have a background in event planning. However, it is more around diversity and inclusion. So if you noticed, I had certain events that like, I think our first one, yes, where I it was more diversity and inclusion, we did Mardi Gras instead of Valentine's Day this year, or in this most... Because it happened to be on the same weekend. It right? happened. Right. More people celebrate Mardi Gras than... You, you don't need to be in a relationship to celebrate Mardi Gras. Correct. Mm-hmm. And we were slammed. <laughs> I was like, uh, this is a standing room. And yeah, we, we were slammed for a good two to three hours. And, and then Chad's part Cajun. So... Do diver- like, and this is another thing. When we do diversity and inclusion events, it's it's something that we can relate to as the owners. Um, that's why 
I know NC Wine Month is May, but it's also Asian American Pacific Islander Month, oh. and I'm half Filipino. So I was more than happy to bring in the local Thai food restaurant, which is also um, a favorite, a local favorite. Um, and then I brought in, I found um, a musician who actually also owns a ukulele group oh, cool. called Maui, Mount Air Ukulele Invasion. Uh, George Smith owns it. And I just paired an event and it just worked. So we've been very lucky in that, but I also do have a background in that. When I worked at Deloitte Consulting, um, I was there for six years. And over half of that, I was the president of the International Business Resource Group. So I actually planned events with the State Department, with the Fulbright. And that was actually my biggest one that it just took months and months of planning. So, so for me, doing something like this is just only natural. Um, next year, uh, I know, again, we had wine in, or we had music and events pretty much every weekend. I would say going into 2022, we're going to do them on purpose. I say we're going to do them strategically. Like if like you've probably already seen in um, some of the events where, yes, we have a Valentine's Day one and hey, Mardi Gras at the end of February. So we're actually like splitting those up and we're going to try to not do events every weekend just to do events. But again, just with a reason. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I definitely, as Joe mentioned, we we definitely noticed that diversity and inclusion seems to be a major part in the events you throw and we really do appreciate it. Yes, we are also going to, and then not just, um, you know, not just, you know, ethnic background diversity, but also diversity of thought. Um, Chad being a veteran, lots of veteran events. And then um, what I want to do next year also is have more like themed dinners. Like we want to do get into the realm of murder mystery dinners. Um, We actually would just host those at our house back in Virginia for fun. And everyone loved it. Like Chad made gumbo and we got in a king cake from um, not Louisiana, but Mississippi, Mississippi, somewhere around there that definitely is all about Mardi Gras. So having like the Cajun food and every time we get the chef that makes, that brings the gator, for example, like this is alligator. Every time this guy brings it, it sells out like every time. So definitely have to be on the lookout for that. Love Cajun food. Like it's, it's, it's nice especially in, a place like State Road, North Carolina, people will come out of the woodwork for that. You know, um, I know there's a big military retirement community up here. We've heard that there's a place over by Mount Airy. They all like lived in DC and they all moved down here. And and then people coming up from, you know, um, actually, yeah, from Mooresville, I was saying like Mooresville. And then um, I remember we had this group of um, Hokies, Virginia Tech folks that just came in and they just like planted themselves for the day. And we had someone else come in from UVA. He was wearing a University of Virginia hat. And then they just started booing him when he walked in. And we're like, hold on, hold on. (laughs) But no, again, everyone's just comfortable here. And bringing everyone together for whatever reasons, that's something that is really important to me. And again, something that I've done already. So I'm very comfortable bringing that over into the wine industry. So you've also done a lot of food and wine pairing. So maybe talk about some of those maybe that worked and some of them that maybe that didn't. Yes. Right. So one of our, I guess most, <clears throat> our first one last year or earlier this year and probably most popular was when we did the, uh, the truffles and they were made with our wine. And I think we did them almost all of February and yes. we would sell out you know, frequently when those. We and- sold out of the Tanat one and the Rosé one because it was cherry with the Rosé. 
and mm-hmm. then raspberry with a tonight. And now I'm like, which one are we gonna, since we don't have the tonight this year, which one are we gonna go right. with? Probably the Verdot, but yeah, um, that was big. And then we had so, and then we did Girl Scout cookies, which was okay. We did it more because a friend was visiting and her daughter was a Girl Scout and we had them at previous wineries. Um, and then once we got through those two, the truffles and the Girl Scout cookies, um, we actually had customers asking us, they were like, hey, there's really no restaurants around here unless you have to drive 20 minutes into Elkin. You know, what are you going to do next? And that's when, um, you know, I thought like April. Um, so th- and that's another thing. Um, birthday, I, I'll own this. My birthday, I did a birthday uh, flight of my favorites. Um, that one, I think weather wise and just probably because it was so close to Easter, didn't do so well. Um, what did really well, surprisingly, was Mother's Day. We did English afternoon, tea. like, you know, it's like you go for afternoon tea. Sure. We went a little overboard on that one. We totally yeah. went overboard, guys. We were it, was, people us. it was like Starbucks. It yeah, was, there was five <laughs> or six sandwiches, you know, you choose three, and that, that became a little bit more of a, a hassle than it was worth. But everyone enjoyed it, though. So it's kind of. We'll tone it down next time we do that. Yeah, we had like four different types of finger sandwiches. We had a chocolate uh, sweet, and then we had a, a vanilla sweet to pair with our our one sweet uh, wine. And then people, it's like people were at Starbucks. They just didn't know, like they were like overwhelmed with options. They're like, uh, pimento cheese, please. You know, <laughs> it, it was something like that. So um, Birthday flight didn't do so well. Um, and I didn't, this is another thing. We got to the point where we noticed the, we noticed again, it was getting warmer and, um, you know, trying to keep like a sanitary, you know, tasting room when you don't have flies flying around. So we actually kind of turned it off. Um, we had something for June, but we didn't really push it. We did chips and dip because we have wine chips. And then we had the same lady who does all the sweets and she's really good at it. Um, we had her do pimento, a pizza dip and, um, and a smoked Gouda dip. And, and then I, I felt bad, like, cause we really didn't push it, but I think at that point we we're like, okay, it's getting warmer. Let's take a break. Let's let, that's when we started bringing in the cheese and charcuterie more, like just having the boxes available for purchase. But I will say one more thing about this. The Christmas cookie pairing sold out for us a couple of weeks ago. And that was very surprising. In one day. In one so, day. Yeah. Well, like, he we were like, love Christmas Whoa. cookies. Okay. That's amazing. I mean, Christmas cookies, you think about sweets sometimes. You think you might need a sweet wine, but they can pair well with uh, with with less sweet wines for sure than the dry wines. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good compliment well, and there. The, yeah. So we actually pair them all with our dry wines because the – What's that rule of sweet wine? The dessert has to be less sweet than the wine. So for example, um, s'mores um, go really well with our bourbon barrel for some reason. And I think because the bourbon barrel, uh, our, our red wine bourbon barrel, at the end you have the notes of vanilla and you have you have the bourbon notes. So the vanillas and the caramels and all that. Um, so the, the s'mores go well with that because, you know, marshmallow and then chocolate, it's like, it's not as, you know, sweet. It's just more of like a fun s'more experience. We had a group of people here from Miami, or no, not Miami, the Florida Keys, um, 20 people. Some of them have, they're, and they're all in their, you know, they're all 20s, like mid, late 20s, early 30s. 
some of them have never done s'mores in their entire life. <laughs> and we told them it pairs really well with the bourbon barrel and they love the Cab Franc. But, um, but yeah, they ended up, some of them got it and it was a great combination yeah, and they, they had they, a wonderful experience. They stopped in on a Friday afternoon, like, cause we were, we were the only winery still open since we stay open until seven on Fridays. And they just got in from Florida going to a wedding that weekend. Um, and 16 of them came in the first on Friday and then at like two o'clock on uh, Saturday, they all came back because they were, I guess, pre-gaming prior to the wedding. But uh, <laughs> they came back and brought some other friends who hadn't come earlier. But they they had a blast here, and it was it was a great group. I, we were it was, it was big, but it was still a good group to work with. So this is the same day we also had the Mustang Club, and we also had um, the Vine Line drop off a group of ten. So I think at one point we had seventy people, and you don't think so? Not all at once. So. <laughs> it was just like wow, there like was a lot room. of people. So we're glad again. It was an outdoor event. Everyone was having a good time. All right. Well, let's pivot a little bit. Let's go back and talk about the vineyard again. Uh, so, as we as we can tell by just the we're recording this in late December. It's been an unusually warm December, uh, and those seem to be coming more and more frequently over the years. So climate change is is something that is happening. Um, there's also other things that are of concern um, as well, uh, pests and that sort of thing uh, that come along with some of that. So can you talk a little bit about some of the things that cause you uh, heartburn or struggle in the vineyard, particularly those that are related to, to climate and weather and maybe some of the pests sure. that are so, the biggest concern? Yeah, two, two years of, of late spring frosts are definitely, you know, things that uh, keep you up at night and, you know, I remember in 20, we had the April frost um, followed by the Mother's Day frost. And, you know, th- that's something we weren't weren't prepared for mentally at all. And we were up at like 3 a.m. trying to do whatever we could that night to, to, you know, keep some warmth in the vineyard or help push the cold air out. And, you know, when it was all said and done, all we had left was you know, some traminette that eventually the deer came in. And I think due to, due to they came in before, like, well, it was still sour grapes. And, yes. And kind of cleaned up what was left before we were, you know, expecting to see deer in the vineyard as an issue. It, they were the color of bright green peas still, and they were so they they were knowingly eating sour grapes, and so so this year we upgraded our fence. We went from that thin aluminum wire to poly wire, and um, we had professional hunters um, that um, came, not not as much as we wanted. Um, but at one point, one of the hunters told us that fence must be working because I don't see a single deer around here. Um, but this was also the first year we had a bird problem and the previous owners said they never had a bird problem, but they went to town on our Merlot. And they'd never seen frost as early or late frost. Like, you know, we saw either, you know, in the the six or seven years they had the vineyard before we took over. So it's definitely been, you know, the, the weather's been a challenge, you know, like we talked about earlier. 18 and the, the very, very wet year that was, was, you know, that kicked off our, our endeavors in the vineyard. So, you know, weather has definitely been a theme the entire time. And then, you know, now you've got the, the spotted lanternfly, you know, coming down, which yeah. is not really a climate thing, but invasive species issues and, you know, having those, they're now just north of Surrey County in, in Virginia. So it's not going to be long before we see those and have to figure out how to fight that as well in the vineyard. Well, okay. So, so 
we've already talked to state agriculture. They're gonna, there's gonna be a whole session on this at the NC Wangaroos conference, by the way. Um, but I've already talked to Amy, I believe. Um, with, and so this NC agriculture, they told us they are likely the most prepared department out of any of the 50 states for spotted lanternfly. And if we see it, if we see it, they want to come and handle it. They do not want us to handle it themselves. So okay. we will call them and they will show up and they will handle the situation for a spotted lantern flight if we have it going into next year. When we have it, yeah. They've, they've, they've pre-staged stuff throughout the state. So as it turns up, they can react to it as long as people recognize it soon enough. So we're not gonna have a situation with um, Pennsylvania, hopefully, knock on wood. Let's hope not. Yeah. Let's hope not. So again, for those who are maybe not familiar with um, the spotted lanternfly, it's, as Chad mentioned, it's an invasive species, um, and they like to feed on um, grapevines and, and leaves and that sort of thing, and so they can be very detrimental. So uh, certainly, it's not just grapevines. Um, yeah, it's orchards, trees, and that sort of thing. Like, yeah. it, it's it's multiple things, but um. But no, we learned about this when we first got into the industry, when we first started taking classes in Virginia. We learned about this and we, it's something that, yeah, not if, but when they come here. Um, I just was, I just thought it would get through the entire state of Virginia before it would get to us. Um, so I thought we had like five more years. Right. But I guess not. Yeah. So everyone needs to be on the lookout and uh, certainly uh, look it up. There's some YouTube, there's a YouTube link. Perhaps we can put in the show notes uh, about the spotted lantern fly that folks can take a look at to learn some more information uh, about it. But it's definitely a concern for not only, as Krista points out, the, the vineyards, but orchards potentially and other agricultural crops. So, so let's uh, let's take a moment to reflect. So you've um, you've been open for just over a year now. So what's left the biggest impact on you over the year? And you've also purchased back uh, in 2015, I think you said. So what's left the biggest impact on you over the years? balancing at all yeah and it's been an impact yeah that's definitely that's been our biggest challenge is balancing as we're learning this and and still doing other work you know just trying to get it all balanced and keep going but you know and our biggest impact I mean, we still have day jobs we still and there's we've had so many customers and wine club members tell us how do you guys do it all and and i my honest answer is, well, there's days you can't get it all done. And then, you know, there's times where it's like, you got to know what you can do realistically and what you can't. And that's when you just delegate, you know, you have good people behind the bar and the vineyard and you just trust it gets done. And, you know, it's something that um, we're still, we're also parents um, and, you know, just opening during a pandemic. It's, it's something that we didn't think we, again, five years ago when we were in Virginia getting married or recently married, I guess you wouldn't catch us saying this and that we'd be vineyard owners and winery owners and a million years. Like if, if I went back in time, I, I'd be like laughing at myself right now. I'd be like, okay, sure. <laughs> I think part of the impact, it's, it's the industry itself. Like, you know, it's so, you know, it's, when you have challenges, you can reach out to, you know, we've got a neighbor who has a vineyard, you know, just, just a grower, but if we have questions in the vineyard, you reach out to him via text or a phone call and he'll come over at least talk you through stuff or, you know, we partner with um, other vineyards to make our wine. 
And, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a relief, I guess, getting into this industry as opposed to kind of the hustle and bustle of the, the DC jobs that we have too, where it's, you know, a lot more cutthroat than, than what you see in this uh, area. So. This is going to be so cheesy, but have you guys seen Bottle Shock? Yes. With Chris Pine wearing that really scary wig. Um, it was made in 2008, but it was about the decision um, where the judgment of Paris. And um, Bill Pullman owned Chateau Montalena. And there was this one scene um, where, you know, it's just, well, there's lots of good scenes there, but it, it, it pulls on your heartstrings. And it's like, why you want to do this? Why you're crazy enough to do this? Because I think, especially in North Carolina, with all the humidity and this extreme weather we've been having, you know, you have to be a little bit crazy to take these types of risks. Um, or you definitely can't be, you know, you have to be, you can't be risk averse. You have to just own it. Right. And and that's something that always gets a good laugh when you're, you know, talking to a room full of farmers. But that's really like, this is what it comes down to. Um, but, but yeah, that's something that you'll notice like every now and then Chad and I will just turn that on and, you know, if anything, it, it rings more and more true, even though, again, that movie is super cheesy and Chris Pine is wearing a really scary wig. It's like, seriously, it's super <laughs> scary guys. But no, it's something that um, it's, it, it kind of, you know, it, it kind of says it all for us, at least. <laughs> Chad's like giving me these looks right now. <laughs> so when do you get Sorry. to sleep? The decision was what? When do you that, that get was to the, sleep? Parish was the That's what I was telling you. No, no. Don't worry about oh my gosh, you know LeBron jokes. So So when do you get to sleep with all the things that you have on your plate? Someone told me they came out here and they love this country, fresh country air and it puts them right to bed. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, no, it's, you know, again, it's, you gotta, this is not an industry for people who are risk averse, like people who want like certainty. This is definitely not your industry. You gotta take risks here, especially when you're growing grapes on the East coast, you gotta go with what's right. Like the thick skin grapes, the petites. I wish I could have an acre of both of those, you know, and hindsight's always 2020. And as you know, we were telling you earlier, yeah, we just yanked all our tonight today. Um, and we're going with Crimson Cab. So, we are going, starting to make this our vineyard, not just a vineyard we purchased. That's awesome. So risks and bad wigs aside, what are you looking most forward to in the future? Sparkling. Yay. I'm, I like sparkling too, um, as, as well as rosé. Sparkling rosé. Let's make it happen, honey. So, he's the winemaker, guys. So. <laughs> and, um, and then um, – just the different, again, we, we have, like Chad said, we almost have two acres of tram. We got to have some fun with this. Um, this year we took all of our reds and we threw it together to make a rosé. Oh yes, um, I did want to call this out also. Um, when we first started, I, and I'm sure you saw this, all of our wines say Mountain Park something. So Mountain Park Sunrise, Mountain Park Sunset, Mountain Park Dew, and then the bumping hauler was something that our neighbor graciously allowed us to use that name for our bourbon barrel. And again, um, with my event background and all that, I'm thinking bumping hauler, bourbon barrel, all the whole alliteration thing. <laughs> um, but um, now we're gonna call our 
sparkling treminet, we're going to call it emergency blow. Um, we're, we're starting to make it more us. So the rosé that's coming out also next year um, that has all the three wines, since it was all three blocks, we're going to call it Trinity because I went to a Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas, not to be confused with all the other Trinities all over this world, like in Ireland and all that. Um, but no, we're starting to make the next line of wines more us and just tell more of our story. Well, it's excellent. And Chad, what are you looking forward to in the future? I think part just seeing where, you know, where the industry goes, like Surrey is definitely starting to hit the map, you know, bigger and bigger. You, you look at like our, our passport, you know, just your sales, not, they, they nearly doubled from, you know, the last time they had it over 500 passports till this year. So I mean, it's definitely Surrey County, the Yadka Valley is getting, you know, more notice than it's had in the past. And it'll be interesting to see you know, where it goes from here. Very cool. So, no joke. Um, when we first opened, we had people come to us and, and I don't know why we ended up being the first, but then that started turning into a theme where people would come to us first and they're saying, we're going to go to all the, the, the new wineries. So there was four of us that opened in 2020. It was um, us and then Hidden Vineyards, Sarah and Pilot, Pilot Mountain. And um, a lot of people would start at us and say, yep, we're hitting up all the new ones today. And I would say, okay, well, you still got a lot of great history here. And then I was like, okay, well, if you are determined to do the new ones, here's where I would go next. Um, so there, there is a lot of potential here. I, our neighbor who just does grapes across the street, he said when he, he grew up in Paso Robles, um, or Paso Robles, whatever, um, the locals call it. And he said, this area reminds him of Paso like 20 years ago before it like really hit. And it's funny cause Chad and I, again, we, here, we just talked about bottle shock, that movie, but if there's any place we'd want to go to in California, we'd want to go to Paso because we've just heard wonderful things about their wines. Um, and, and again, so many other things that are exciting about going into next year. Um, but as long to, to, to at least me and Chad, we just want to be authentic. We want to be us. And yes, you come into our tasting room and you'll see, you know, a baby Yoda or Grogu you know, with a little bottle kind of elevated from the ceiling because we're total IT nerds and we can talk about comic book stuff. But then you turn around and then you have this award-winning award winning Triminette and you have like this amazing bourbon barrel and our 19 Petit Fredot, which you guys have had. Like we've, like anytime anyone has had that, we've just heard nothing but positive feedback. So, you know, we're just really excited about going into next year, bringing out the 19 reds, again, the ones that we had that amazing growing season. And again, we're hoping for another good season with 22, where we're hoping for, and hopefully Mother Nature will be kind to us um, and not give us a third spring frost in back-to-back -back years. But that's one thing farming has definitely taught us is Mother Nature always wins. So that's right. we'll see Next year, next year holds. So as we close, close down the interview, can you tell folks uh, where to find you both physically and virtually uh, so they can come for a visit? Right. So virtually, uh, Golden Road Vineyards um, 
with an S on both Facebook and Instagram or grvwines.com. And we're in State Road, North Carolina, which is about eight miles north of Elkin on, um, on US 21. We are five minutes. And if you're like me and you're from Texas and you need landmarks, um, we are five minutes from Jones Vondrell, about 15 minutes from Shelton, and about 15 minutes, 20 minutes north of Elkin, and about 35 minutes from Mount Airy. So come on and visit. Love to have you guys. Well, perfect. Excellent. Chad and Crystal, we definitely appreciate it. Thank you very much for the conversation, and we will be talking soon. Okay, thank you for your time. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Chad and Krista. You should plan a trip for one of their events or just go out and enjoy the relaxing atmosphere. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show and more when you sign up. You can find more information at patreon.com slash corktalk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, Cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a free LLC production.